and little miniature farm animals. a podcast about uh, politics and culture in the South. With me, as always, are Chad Watson. Greetings. And David Dykes. Hello. And I'm Wes Cheek, and I'm sitting in my office uh, experiencing eye allergies, which is wonderful. So, also, uh, just now, apparently, an oil rig has exploded in Lake Pontchartrain, and search and rescue operations are underway. So the wonderful southeast Louisiana oil economy strikes again. Wow. Like just now? Just now. Like right before I start talking to you guys. Mm-hmm. And it's also that we're getting a cold front in. It's coming in around midnight, but they're just launching like search and rescue boats now. And we're supposed to be getting relatively high waves for Lake Pontchartrain all through the night. So it doesn't, doesn't bode well. For anyone who's missing, so it kind of uh, sucks as any any accident in the oil industry. Like it's never there's never like a small oh a little accident happened on the oil rig. Well, and just being at sea in general ratchets that up too. Or at or at lake, as it were. Yeah, I think of it as an inland sea, but it's pretty intimidating. It's pretty it's pretty scary. Yeah, it's a weird body of water, shallow yet uh, frightening. Yep, and with bull with bull sharks and over your head, which is uh, deep enough. Well, I hear that'll do it. Yep. Yeah, you can drown with in, in just a, a teaspoon of water if oh. you're really tiny. <laughs> you <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> really try hard enough, you can. Yeah, if um, you've been if you've been stabbed and shot fifty times, <laughs> that's how Rasputin went out, right? A teaspoon of water. Yeah. That. Yeah, with right. a teaspoon of water. They chopped up his head and rubbed <laughs> a teaspoon of water on him. Did the trick. Does the trick every time. Uh, so anything exciting other than this stuff been going on in your respective areas this week? Nothing at all for me. It's been a... I've been sick, and I've been teaching school. Um, neither of those are very exciting so things to talk about. Is there any ongoing after effects of the earthquake, like where you are? Is it kind of a... Well, I would, there was not really an earth... I mean, the earthquake didn't... Even the tremors, I think, didn't make it this far north. There's a, uh, a kind of dividing line that we're north of. And so, of course, there's still... You know, I still have friends in the city, and uh, um, I, we had a glitch last week, so I'm not sure if, if this uh, observation went on or not, but being... Getting through an earthquake without being crushed is not quite the same as being undamaged. And so I've got a lot of friends who are trying to deal with the after effects, just psychological after effects and all. Um, and uh, that's not very... Yeah, earthquakes are... Yeah. You know, that's not very exciting, but it's, um, but it's very real. Earthquakes can be pretty intimidating, and they're very odd. You know, it's not like a hurricane where you can plan for it or know that it's coming, and it's 
uh, disturbing because it feels weird because it alters everything going on around you. And then the damage from it is surreal as well. So they, they can be, yeah, I mean, they can alter your perception. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, here in San Miguel, things are pretty much as always. Um, uh, uh, it's a sort of haven from uh, the, the difficulties of the world in a lot of way. Uh, Chad, how's uh, Houston? Any, any what's going on in Houston? You guys are in the playoffs. You have playoff fever. Yeah, we are. We got playoff. I got playoff fever. Yeah, so I may have to. I may have to pass out pretty soon because I've got. I've got a hundred and ten degree playoff fever. Um, now Houston is in the playoffs. Everyone's very excited. Uh, it's like the. It's like the hurricane never happened. If like your house didn't get flooded. Um, is it baseball? But no, yeah, we're. Yeah, baseball. The Houston Astros with uh, their second baseman Jose Altuve um, leading the way. Little so guy. If, if the Astros win, and it's very appropriate because it's Astros versus the Yankees, right? So if, yes. If if the Astros win, does Evan Gaddis come around and rebuild your house for you? Yeah, he uh, he's going to come around and rebuild everybody's house. El Oso Blanco. I think there's a joke that's already been made that I totally don't get which is why is it especially appropriate that it's Yankees and Astros because we're a podcast about southern stuff and uh, the team from Houston is playing the Yankees oh okay yeah, north versus south oh yeah okay uh, gotcha yeah so uh, this, speaking of Yankees this this week oh today in fact um, uh, not friend of the pod rival of the pod rival podcaster my, uh, my friend Allie um, uh, was there's going to be a cold front here in New Orleans, and she was excited about it. And I, I said Yankee, and she said I'm from the Midwest. We aren't Yankees. Hmm. Uh oh. Where Where's she from? I don't know. What is the Midwest? They're all the same place. I don't know. Cornfield. Minnesota. Kansas. Either either Minnesota Nebraska, or Kansas. Yeah. One of those. A building with a train track and a cornfield. <laughs> She's from a corn a corn silo. She lived in a. She grew up in a corn silo, a corn Um, silo, or a missile silo somewhere. They got a lot of them out there too. Potato shack. I don't know. Grew up in a wheat cow. Grew up in a wheat. Grew up in a wheat thrasher. (laughs) I think. I think those all run on GPS now. They don't even do it for real. I think she doesn't understand the xenophobia of the South. Where if you're from England, you're a Yankee. (laughs) Germans, Czechs. I've said this. I've said this on the podcast before, I'm sure, but it becomes more endearing to me year by year is that whenever, when I was growing up, my dad used to nod at people and say good morning, and if they didn't respond back, he would say Yankee. <laughs> um, so, yeah, well, briefly, I'll address it. Like, we, I, I apologize, we messed up the podcast last week. There was lots of really good stuff on there, but, uh, you know, technology and whatnot. But for the, the money we put into it and the money everyone listening puts into it, I think we, you know, 33 minutes of highly edited uh, lecturing for me is sufficient. <laughs> Sorry. Tulane students pay a lot for that. Yeah. For this office? Yeah, they pay for this office space. Thanks, well, I mean, to, for 33 minutes of lecturing from you, that's... Oh, me lecturing? Yeah. Oh, geez, I wish. I wish I got to lecture children instead of just grading papers. <laughs> That's my work complaint. It's my work complaint for the week. So uh, here in New Orleans, we just had a very exciting election yesterday. Were you guys uh, excitedly following the results? I caught up on a the results bit. the day after. 
Did yeah. any of it mean anything to you? Or are you far enough removed now where a New Orleans election? Well, I still remember um, uh, Latoya from, um, uh, she replaced, who was it? Uh, somebody got an at-large Stacey seat. Head? Yeah, Head, that's right, Stacey Head. And is, um, uh, you know, she did the smoking ban, was uh, kind of her thing. Mm-hmm. and uh, uh, But she has really good uh, kind of uh, social organizing credentials. So that's exciting with 38%. Yeah, and I don't want to, so, yes, since we're, you know, there are other people and podcasts and stuff that really cover New Orleans politics, and, like, I don't want to bring anyone into a deep dive on it, but I think it's a good entry point to talk, start talking about elections in the South, like we said that we were going to last time, so we might as well. But, so, there, you know, we, so the really great thing about this election is it's going to a runoff between Latoya Cantrell and Desiree Charbonnet, who's a uh, a local, uh, she's a judge, yeah. municipal court judge, and Latoya Cantrell is a city councilwoman and kind of a local community activist. Um, and the, the great thing about it is, either way, is going to be the first African American female mayor of New Orleans, which, uh, which you know, just from my standpoint, is great because most. Uh, civic interactions I have in New Orleans are with African-American females, so it seems appropriate that um, the city's represented and the power structure's represented by African-American females, uh, seems to me. But um, but the interesting thing to me about this was that there was a lot of commentary last night, and some of it from, I was kind of being a jerk to John Nichols on Twitter. I, I like John Nichols, but he kept saying um, something like, uh, a giant, like a giant breakthrough in the South. The South, it, here's a, a sweeping change in the South. And kind of the sweeping change was that either LaToya Cantrell or Desiree Charbonnet is replacing Mitch Landrew. And it doesn't seem to me like that's indicative of any kind of... Um, and he was kind of putting it in kind of like progressive change in the South. It's like, yeah, you know, Mitch Landrew is a centrist dim. He's like a James right. Carvel kind of dim, right? Um, and, and he's really good at some things he's good at. He sucks at other things. And he's, he's very much like, if, like, the Aspen Institute could have a child, like, it would be, like, Mitch Landrieu, right? This kind of... He's very much neoliberal economic policies, good on social stuff, you know, very noted for his speech on the monuments this week, eloquent, a great retail politician. But he's kind of, you know, he's kind of... Uh, like, the guy at the Chamber of Commerce who's not a jerk, right? He's... He's that kind of guy. And then Cantrell and Charbonnet are both pretty good at a lot of stuff, but even Cantrell, the community organizer, is also the one who cut the deal for Airbnb to still be legal yeah. uh, in New Orleans, yeah. right? And she's all about affordable housing and stuff. And, you know, to, to, to be fair, it's, it's probably a more complicated issue than I'm making it out to be, and there's lots of stuff going on. But it seems like with a lot of these elections we're looking at... That's probably the case, is that there's all of these local issues and dynamics that that um, is maybe not as easy a narrative as saying that, oh, look, a, you know, a progressive takeover of the South. Anyway, you, I'm just throwing that Well, out. and it's not such a, it's not like it's George Wallace uh, uh, 1962 um, versus, um, you know, Karl Marx or anything. It's uh, it, It's a shift, a bit of a shift. But it's more of an identity and sort of demographic shift than a huge political shift. And that's a, that stuff's all important, too, though. 
Yeah, I don't think it's not important. And like you know, so uh, Cantrell's like backed by the Working pa- Families Party, which that's cool. But then Charbonnet's backed by um, AFL-CIO, right? So it's uh, you know, I, e- either way, we're gonna get. So, you know, I'm from Northwest Florida. Either of these people I would take in a heartbeat to be my congressional representative over uh, horrible Matt Gates who we have in Florida. But in the context of New Orleans, like, we already have, like, a Republican's not going to win to be mayor of New Orleans, right? It's going to be, relative to the rest of America, a, a left-wing candidate. But that doesn't indicate... I don't know if it indicates, like, any kind of... Um, Super trend because you know Latoya Cantrell's kind of been tapped to be a future mayor for the last well since since after Katrina right so the last decade. Well, to take that a little bit broader, would you say what would you say about the maybe it's not quite enough momentum to call it a trend, but uh, we talked a little bit before about um, various cities in the South that are getting. Um, um, slightly further to the left and where especially the African-American constituencies seem to be sort of feeling their power. Um, yeah, which would be which would be excellent, would be great. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, we have uh, Chokwe Lumumba in Jackson, who I think is the most left of all of the candidates we're thinking about in the South, right? Like, he's definitely... Definitely left, left, left. Uh, he comes out of a, a whole tradition of that from his father and being involved in the um, the Malcolm X grassroots movement right. and the uh, what is it, Cooperation Jackson, the the Solidarity Movement within Jackson. So, um, you know, I don't think, and everyone knows, I think New Orleans, and this will probably be said of anywhere, but in particular, New Orleans politics is is very. Local and very specific, so I don't think we—I don't know—we can ever connect anything to a broader trend there. But that's why I'm skeptical of myself because I try to connect Jackson and then Woodfin being elected in Birmingham and then maybe Fort in Atlanta. I try to connect all of those things, but maybe I'm maybe I'm just deluding myself in the same way I think John Nichols was about the New Orleans election. Well, I don't know enough. Well, Oops, sorry. Go ahead, Chad. Oh, no, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I don't know enough Please. about um, how the South is gerrymandered in, in big African-American cities. But is it just impossible to uh, cut up the vote in such a way that those things don't happen? I guess, it is, I guess the city limits uh, are the district when it comes to mayoral elections. And so you can't gerrymander them at yeah. the state level. No, I mean, you definitely all these, and especially I know New Orleans has like the different neighborhoods vote in different ways, but yeah, you're confined, you're the, it's the city is the thing, right? So it is a self-contained unit in that way. Right, yeah, it's interesting that, yeah, these are all sort of mayoral elections, uh, but in uh, this piece that I read from the New Republic about Bernie Sanders isn't winning local elections for the left, is this the Sarah Jaffe piece? Yeah, this is a Sarah Jaffe piece. Yeah, it's good. I like this piece. Yeah, but they just kind of talk that the, I mean, they mentioned that, that I mean, they're a network, you know, these these uh, folks have uh, established, like, network, you know, they have, like, uh, established, uh, what's, what's the right word? They're organized, like, they're organized, and they have a, an established network, and that's how they got elected. It wasn't because... Just Bernie Sanders is going around endorsing them. 
Um, they actually have. They've been at this for a long time. They just haven't come out of no like Randall Woodfin hasn't come out of nowhere or the mayor of like Jackson because the mayor of Jackson isn't he's from like a fan I mean his family is uh, like wasn't right. his dad was mayor right yeah, that was the mayor very briefly and died yeah. in office yeah but I mean mm-hmm. he comes from like a long I mean right an organ yeah I think that one of the premises yeah. of that article or the articles that it was responding to more um, it's not like uh, Bernie Sanders introduced people who had no idea about politics and no idea about the left or anything else and suddenly like he helped to energize but he didn't create the left in the in the US like the real left in the US uh, and didn't even represent right. it in a lot of ways um, uh, he did in in some very important ways but in others not so much and it was partly just the fact that he had the guts to call himself a democratic socialist and all of right. us who've been sort of clamoring for that for a long time thought, oh, you can be kind of viable in a national race and then say that out loud. And that's what got people excited. But it's not like they'd never heard of it until Bernie uh, uh, brought the tablets down from the mountain. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is, too, like uh, like I've complained about a lot before, is that... Um, Outside, and we're talking about southern elections here. So outside of the South, um, maybe it, it's probably seen that like, oh my goodness, this uh, a, a radical leftist won in the South, uh, and it seems astonishing if you've never been to Jackson or Atlanta or Birmingham or New Orleans, uh, because people don't realize that southern cities are African American Democratic strongholds, and so. The tension in those cities is not between right and left. It's between, like, centrist, old-school Democrats, a lot of whom came out of the civil rights movement and are now kind of centrist, and, like, uh, in the kind of, like, a labor organizing and more, I don't want to say radical, but more to the left kind of civil rights movements and things. So it's kind of that tension that seems to me like it's overlooked and it's also what's fueling this as opposed to a kind of right-left divide. Yes, I agree. Or, or as far as I know, I'm. I'm uh, uh, there was something else that we listened to that was... Um, um, the, I talked to somebody from the Highlander Center, and while I was listening to that, I realized that one of the reasons that I'm not very good at being a leftist is that I'm pretty bored by people who, when they start talking, it sounds like they're giving a speech. And, um, mm-hmm. I mean, even when I totally agree with them and I'm glad that they're doing it and that those are the opinions, I'm really glad the Highlander Center is there. But my experience, brief experience, um, working um, at a camp there for a few years, many years ago, um, was that I didn't like hanging out with them very much, which I know isn't the point of mm-hmm. politics or political organizations. But... Right. It's a huge part of, I think, who I am. And I'm also kind of, uh, I'm pretty misanthropic for a leftist. Uh-huh. And so uh, for me, when you talk about like making um, um, political coalitions and all of the kind of, kind of groundwork, I'm just not good at that sort of stuff. I always feel kind of guilty that it's not what I'm doing, but I just don't think I'm, I'm good at it. 
Well, I mean, this gets really complicated, too. It's like, you know, I, uh, I was at a political meeting recently with someone else who we both very much believe in kind of the stuff that we were working on. But we were also kind of like said to each other at one point, oh, man, like the people who are really good at this are just kind of like uh, these energetic middle managers, you know, and we're not. And like, I don't mean that as an insult. It's just like, you know, political organizing is a slog, right? It's not easy and it's not always fun. There are fun parts of it. But a lot of it is like uh, looking at Excel spreadsheets and figuring out neighborhoods and call lists and being having the energy to uh, want to just like talk to lots of people all the time. Um, and yeah, having the kind of ability to say the same thing over and over and over and over again. Right, so uh, it's not it's not for everybody, and I think it, this is the more complicated thing that we don't go into holding. But I think that's why it doesn't always attract the people who would be the best in the positions. It attracts the people who are good at this, at that, at that kind of thing, at organizing. Which you know, I respect them. It's really hard to do. It's just different stuff. I think social media is starting to help that a little bit too, because it's. I think. It's a different set of skills to organize on social media, and I'm part of a group in Tennessee, the Defeat Bob Corker um, group, which didn't become completely obsolete when he said he wasn't running again because there's still the idea of... <laughs> you did uh, it. You guys did <laughs> it. You stopped him. You stopped Bob Corker. Yeah, but you know what's going to fill that void is very scary, and so, of course, it's still going and all, but it's a lot easier to kind of crowdsource enthusiasm and crowdsource uh, opinion and all that in a Facebook group than to sit around and cold call and go knock on doors. Yeah, but the, the good thing about knocking on doors and cold calling is you're, you are forced to do stuff in real life, right? And, like, and it actually I, works. I would personally rather, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, they actually have to go do it. Like, you know, like I love like when you hang out with the old school civil rights people and the people who are like labor organizers who like know the logistics of like getting people on buses to go to the polls and all that stuff like oh wow they really can do this stuff uh it's amazing and i think that's in the sarah jaffe article what she's kind of hinting at is like these these structures exist right it's just that uh who's accessing them and who uses them effectively i think one of the most interesting things for me with the the woodfin campaign um is that he's a, a Morehouse uh, alumnus, alumni, alumnus. Um, and so he has a whole network of, of people he went to school with and fraternity brothers who, who backed him and organized for him. And if anyone knows Morehouse, you know, it's a very upwardly, <laughs> upwardly mobile group of professionals that if that's your network, you have a pretty good, you're going to have a pretty good network. If we flash all the way back to our movies episode, I was recommending um, Spike Lee's School Days as one of the movies, yeah. and I think this is the reason why. Is like I think sometimes people overlook like uh, historically black college universities in the South and this kind of very active, developing very active uh, political figures who also have this network. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So isn't Chad, isn't the mayor of Houston? fairly progressive yeah he is well he um he's not as progressive as our uh as our last mayor oh the last mayor was the the lesbian who calls the hurricane 
Yeah, the lesbian who caused the hurricane, who brought okay. God's wrath down upon us mm-hmm. um, and flooded the streets and caused Houston to be... It wasn't... Houston was not built on a swamp before she became... <laughs> a lesbian? A lesbian. <laughs> before she became a lesbian. Um, no, you know, actually, Sylvester Turner is... Uh, yeah, he's a fairly progressive, um, yeah, Democrat, and he took over for her after... After she left office, I think her term, what she term limits, uh, but he's pretty progressive. And he actually, during the uh, hurricane, he offered to. He's a lawyer, and he still his uh, his uh, license is still active. And he said that he would um, advocate for people that were undocumented. Like he was gonna, he opened up like a like a I, he he opened he opened up like his own like a branch of his old law office and he said he would advocate for any undocumented workers that I, any undocumented citizens who needed assistance during the hurricane or in the aftermath of the hurricane I'm so ignorant about southern politics that I thought the lesbian who caused the hurricane was a Steve Larson novel <laughs> <laughs> And That's southern Scandinavia. <laughs> well, they are getting a hurricane, though, so that would be an appropriate novel. Yeah. They're about to get our, our hurricane. Our, yeah. uh, Is it coming from Mark. Houston up to there? Because it could be this. Yeah. Just keep on. Well, going. we Just all we all went down to Galveston. We shot our gun. We shot our guns at it, and it, uh, and it ran off. Turned around. Yeah, rough dog. So go now. Get get out of here. Um, but how does and that work in Houston with the mayor being like a progressive Democrat or somewhat and Houston being kind of like the heart of the oil industry? Oh, like, it's a mess. I mean, not a whole lot. I mean, it's kind of a lot of back and forth, like, between him and, like, the city council. I mean, not... Some stuff gets done. Not a whole lot gets done. I mean, there was the whole... You know, um, uh, against the... Uh, it was illegal to discriminate in the city of Houston... But then, of course, um, was there was for, a like, huge... transgender or just like uh, LGBTQ or is it LGBTQ? Um, yeah, every like it was the whole inclusive. Like, okay, inclusive. It was all inclusive, and it was uh-huh. um, yeah the the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance, um, and and they um, a coalition of people for the family said that it violated people's religious. Uh, it was it, it violated people's religious rights to not be able to uh, hate on people. Yeah, discriminate. Yeah, and it oh, got that's... it got turned down. Um, was that in the, which was he was a bit? Was that just in the city limits, or was that um, um, the greater metro area? Or and I'm sure the pressure usually is coming from outside anyway. Or being organized from outside. Oh and yeah, it was it was people um, like it was only in the city. It was for businesses that had their headquarters inside the Houston city limits. But the group, a lot of the groups were people from like the suburbs, like the surrounding suburbs, were were a lot of the uh, the groups. Um, and and also the, it actually um, there was a vote like there was a vote in the city to. To um, support in support and it passed in the city, but then like part of the legal case against it was that it was not le- the way that they set it up. It was not legal. The vote was not a legal vote. Like the way that the vote got put on the ballot was not legal. So the vote didn't really represent anything. So that was how it was 
that was one of the ways that helped dismiss the uh, equal rights ordinance. Um, and it was also housing too. It also had to do with uh, it was uh, for employment and housing. Um, so and Sylvester, it was um, the previous mayor was. Uh, it was one of her big, one of her big acts. But Sylvester Turner was also he supported it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess like being a mayor, and you know, different cities have different setups. But being mayor's powers only go so far. Right. But, you know, there's, there's also, you know, in Atlanta going on with the, is it uh, Fort who's running? Yeah, and he's, like, you know, backed by the Teamsters and stuff. And also for city council in Atlanta, there's uh, Khalid Kamau, who's a DSA member and uh, founder of the uh, Black Lives Matter Atlanta chapter who ran and um, made it onto the city council for South Fulton, so... There, there's these there's these victories you know that are happening here and there and um, I don't know if they're adding up to a larger trend but I hope they do but I think one one of the things that we might be seeing and I say this as someone I was on the uh, the Democratic Executive Committee of of my district or my county's uh, Democratic Party and so a lot of what was going on before the last presidential election was. There's frustration with kind of the, there's the, in a lot of areas in the South, like a lot of the the Democratic parties skew older, and because young people move away or move around a lot for jobs and, and they can't commit to it as much. So you have the older chapters who are really committed to kind of like an older model of making, making the whole thing work. And they were very much uh, in the Hillary contingent. And then you had a kind of influx of younger people who were wanting to have uh, all of these things be less about party affiliation and more about like a platform of policies or values and didn't necessarily want to have Democratic Party membership, but wanted to have a kind of a broad left kind of platform. And so that was kind of the fight before the election. And I think, and this is just anecdotal for me, I think part of what happened after the election was that... Um, the older kind of factions, which we can generalize as saying the Hillary factions, uh, their whole kind of argument was saying that it was more practical and it was more realistic. But then once you lose, you kind of lose the hold on saying we're the practical, realistic approach. And so I think a lot of people were able to say, look, well, we're just going to go with kind of maybe people with less party allegiance to Democrats, but kind of a broad left consensus uh Running, and I'm hoping that's what we we start to see more of because I very much feel that's the way to get elected going forward. Yeah. Down down with the Democratic Party. <laughs> that's what we decided tonight. <laughs> All down with Republicans. Well, you know, I think um, um, it's kind of interesting. Like, there's younger people. I, I know that younger and older makes a difference, but then I think about like young libertarians. And um, oh, my! They tend to my people, yeah. my favorites. Well, they tend to be um, they tend to be uh, technically really incompetent in a lot of ways, and to be really bad at like messaging and campaigning and all different <laughs> sorts of politics. Get their jobs. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you know, I just think about like when I think about a bunch of young libertarians getting together. 
I don't think about people who are especially uh, competent at politics. Um, right. And so, yeah, I don't know if I don't know if young uh, socialists I would imagine are probably better, but I don't know why I imagine that. But probably because I imagine um, they're better educated and maybe even a little smarter. Is that going too far? Are you I saying that maybe know. young libertarians, that even if government was small enough, they couldn't drown it in a bathtub? <laughs> it's possible <laughs> that maybe they, they uh, maybe it'd food. be a tough fight and who knows who would end up drowned. <laughs> <laughs> that baby got away. Yeah. That baby yeah. one got away. They would shove the baby in and say, you deserve to die. And they'd say, that's a non sequitur. And then the, <laughs> yeah. the libertarian would slip and fall in the bathtub because he was so surprised. He, of course, <laughs> yeah. I signed that he said he was so surprised that the baby could command logic like <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> um, you, were, you were born for this to happen. That's, a, that's the natural fallacy. And then he'd slip <laughs> further into the bathtub. <laughs> I, now I want to see that. I want to have a whole league of babies having um, logical fallacy offs with uh, with young libertarians. We, we need to start our <laughs> meme factory, uh, turning those things out. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Our first I t-shirt. Want to wager on it. Yeah, babies versus libertarians. Mm. Wah wah! Now it's the baby's turn. <laughs> 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 Anyway, so okay, I, can I ask about stuff that's not about these elections, although I'm interested in these elections? Yes. But can I move on to this other thing I wanted to yeah. ask about? So there's two kind of things this week that I saw, and one of them made me nuts. The other one just made me kind of shrug. So I'll give you both of them, and then I'll give you my quick thing on it, and then bounce off you guys. One, I don't know if you saw um, everybody's favorite NPR host, Kai Rizdahl. Uh, everyone's oh yeah marketplace is he still a marketplace is that his i think he's prairie home companion now okay no i don't think that's true but yeah i think he's marketplace so do you know about his twitter thing this week kairos twitter uh, was it was it follow five yeah. fo- follow five people that you might meet yeah. in heaven is it <laughs> yeah so here's this friday twitter tip find five people you disagree with Follow them. I assume he means on Twitter. <laughs> think about what they think about what they say. That's how this all starts to heal. Um, which is advice to people, uh, which I think is it's one of those things people say, but it's also incredibly stupid. Um, and so someone asked him, like, uh, sincere question. I lean very left. I can't deal with Kool Aid right wing nuts. So can you recommend five reasonable, genuine conservatives for me? And Kai Rizdal, uh begins with, start with Hugh Hewitt. See how that goes. Um, Hugh Hewitt. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I looked up Hugh Hewitt, and, like, the first ten, I mean, he's horribly stupid. I always think of him as looking like the Hugh. the senator in, like, the first X-Men movie that Mystique impersonates. Oh, and, like, right, <laughs> yeah. He's the, uh, yeah. Trask. He's, uh, yeah, 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 Senator right. Trask. And so, like, all of his tweets are just about, like, football today, and then the rest are about how it's okay if Donald Trump's a horrible president because he's doing a really good job of stacking the federal appeals court with conservative justices, and that's what matters most. Mm-hmm. Like, and oh, then, yeah. And then the rest are Have all you about been thinking how, about that? Have you been thinking about that? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about it. And a, <laughs> the rest are about how the ACA uh, subsidies are illegal. So... You know, I'm looking at Hugh Hewitt, and I understand that he uh, 
like hates me and wants me to die essentially um, and has no respect kind of for anything else going on as long as he can stack. Oh, but he also wants you to know that the Buckeyes uh, that the Buckeyes haven't punted against Nebraska since October yeah. 6, 2012. Right. It was really important stuff. But, you know, I do kind of heed Kairos as advice because I follow, like, a lot of Assad supporters <laughs> to see what's going on in the Syrian civil war. Um, so is that what he means? I feel like I'm starting to heal by following these Assadists uh, and learning about what what travesties and genocides have been committed by the uh, Kurds on them. So there's that. Well, um, I think, so, the, uh, for me, the sorry. problem with the suggestion is that... Um, Fame is a commodity, and also people are famous for being famous. And following people is sort of like spending money at their store in a way. Like you boost their brand by following them. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so looking, like if there's yeah. somebody, like I have friends on Facebook who I have totally different uh, politics from and relatives. And uh, there are people who I listen to and listening to and being in dialogue with people who you don't agree with, I think is a great idea, but I'm not sure. For one thing, I don't do Twitter and I don't know that I think that there's much good that can come from it, but I mean, it's funny. There's a lot of funny uh, uh, banter and dialogue and stuff, but for me, um, uh, it's just not a medium I'm very interested in, but, but yeah, it's like the more followers you have, the more you're promoted on the platform, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, sure, sure, the broader audience that you have. And so, yeah, um, if, you're, if you're following people that you don't like, then you're kind of promoting them, even if it's not um, uh, literally, technically cheerleading for them. And you can also look and you can see what the, if you want to know what people are saying, you can... You can look at what they're saying without following them. Um, or you could also, you could also like, I mean, you could also read complicated things and right. deal with complicated ideas, right? That you might not even have a disagree or agree with, right? right. Like you, you can read a, a book on something that you don't know about. Are you, you know what I mean? It seems to me like kind of a very shallow way. So I'll get into the other thing that I'm kind of balancing it with talk about that too so also it was in the news here this week uh comedian sarah silverman whose comedy i like very much apparently she's got a new talk show on hulu uh which i have no idea how to watch anything on hulu but she came to chalmette and um had dinner with a family of trump supporters and it was very friendly cordial dinner and it was kind of like a 10 minute long piece and i watched it and was like yeah whatever and uh some people are critical, saying um, she wasn't, she didn't go hard enough on this Trump supporting family. Some people are critical, saying, "Oh, look at these liberals; they treat us like we're in a zoo." Um, and then, my kind of thing, and to compare this with the Kai Rizzo thing, is I think where all of us grew up is kind of that's just kind of normal life, right? Like, don't you don't you consistently meet people that you disagree with and have conversations with them all the time? Well, sure. I think I do, right? I mean, it's and like the the Sarah Silverman one, and like I said, I I really like her. She has some of my favorite. I like I love her in the Aristocrats. Um, I love her uh, jokes about Martin Luther King farting in the car and rolling up the windows and laughing at everybody. Uh, <laughs> it's a great joke. Um, 
But on this, it was kind of like one of those things that I think we get so much of in media because um, media tends to come from certain viewpoints where it's like, oh, isn't this... Isn't this strange that I went to Chalmette and had dinner with a family who has completely different politics than I do? It's not, not for anyone who grew up with like where I grew up yeah, or where you guys grew up. That was called dinner every night. <laughs> yeah, it's completely <laughs> like you know. I went to a crawfish boil in Metairie where everyone was like talking about how uh, Barack Obama wasn't from America. It's like you know that's a normal thing that happens to you in life. Right? I was out at a bar the other night and somebody suggested that. Porfirio Diaz was the greatest president ever, and um, we went on about that for 20 minutes. Uh, I mean, it's just a ridiculous idea. The greatest president of America? Uh, no, the greatest president of um, uh, where I am, Mexico. The Virgin <laughs> Islands, the greatest president <laughs> of the Virgin Islands. <laughs> And you, of course, were arguing that it was Vincente Fox, right? Uh, actually, that's what started the conversation was we were both agreeing that uh, Vincente Fox is a much better internet troll than he ever was president. Right. <laughs> and he's kind of just average at being an internet troll. Well, I think for a former head of state, he's pretty good at it. Yeah. But for he's losing to one of our current heads of state. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> might go down as the greatest internet troll of all time. Yeah. We done got trolled. He trolled. Mm-hmm. We're, we're all being trolled. But 300 I don't know, million know, people. Yeah. And this was going back a long time. Uh, you know, that was one of my problems. Even though when Air America first came out, I loved it because it was the only, like, left-wing thing I could listen to and I left-wing in quotation marks I could ever find to listen to. Um, and I guess Democracy Now! was out then, but it was harder to get. Uh was that it still all came from a viewpoint of, like, oh, conservatism is this weird thing that exists somewhere else, and, like, when we see it, we're seeing it as this strange object out there where, and tying this back into the election thing, I think this is why we need to generate way more uh, national Democratic politicians who are from the South, where you're dealing with conservatism as just part of your everyday life in conversations you have and people that you deal with and so you can actually understand when to take it seriously and when to recognize it is just complete bullshit and when you can like not like I hate these kind of reactions and this is kind of based on like internet reactions anyway but you see where people are like I can't believe so and so said this this is oh I can't you know and it's like this is normal garbage that you hear people say every day I think we need to do, do a better job I, I'd rather see more people who are able to kind of understand this stuff rather than viewing it as, as an outsider. So now am I backing Kai Rizdal? Did I just change and then I'm backing Kai Rizdal? No. I think you are. We all back, we are all, yeah, we all back Kai Rizdal. We're all Kai Rizdal. Today we're, we're all, all no. Kai Rizdal. They, no. We're all, yeah, I got, a, I got his credit card information. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> Today I will be <laughs> Kai Rizdal. Yeah. yeah. Well, I followed him around and thought about what he had to say, and yeah. he said that my, my PIN number yeah. is 3572. <laughs> and that's how I started yeah. to heal, was I, I emptied out his bank account <laughs> and went to the... Well, that is... My, I mean, I wonder, like, I don't know. I, I, I've, never, I've never got to hang out with a group of people that exclusively uh, sees things the way I do. I don't think I've ever... For any any extended period of time, if that's ever happened, I think anybody who has doesn't have very complicated opinions. 
<laughs> like the whole even when group. I'm by my, even when I'm by myself. Yeah. <laughs> even when I'm by myself, I'm not in a, in a company of people that I completely agree with. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah. Even more so. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's just those two things were kind of making me nuts. Kyra, I mean, Sarah Silverman's was completely harmless. It was a, it was a fine thing, but it was also it, like the the whole thing that was supposed to be spectacle was to me the most absolutely normal thing that I saw that day. It was like, well, this is every day of life. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I went to a uh, a kid's birthday party this weekend. It, was, it could have been the exact same thing. I could have filmed it and put it on Hulu, I suppose. Like, oh, look, it's me having a decent time with people I don't agree with politically at all. And it's not. <laughs> it's completely normal. Yeah, or me with a group of uh, teachers all going to uh, a really boring restorative justice, um, restorative discipline slash restorative justice uh, seven-hour lecture, and every all of us of, uh, from different backgrounds and different beliefs all being equally miserable because we have to... <laughs> Uh, is there, uh, how did they differentiate between discipline and justice? I thought that was the same thing. It was, but uh, what is it? Discipline. They couldn't. It was, it was basically they said it was the way they marketed it. They had to market it. <laughs> they had to market <laughs> it as restorative. They had was, to. What was it? Marketed. Foucault died early because <laughs> yeah. uh, marketing discipline was his next work that he was going to get out there. Yeah, like discipline was sounded better. Uh, restorative discipline. It, it was kind of very confusing. He said restorative discipline was the better way to talk about it, but that's what more people disagreed with. So we'll call it restorative justice for the rest of the the talk. Was it seven hours of just the guy saying, gum under the disc, that's a padlet. <laughs> Back talk, that's a padlet. And horsing around, that's a padlet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. That was that was it. Were you there? Were you in the back? Yeah. Did anyone like hold up their fist and say, "I'll restore your justice"? <laughs> yeah. you Somebody in the uh, back. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was at the uh, pediatricians um, this week because I still go to the pediatrician, and um, there was. Oh, are you still on your parents' uh, insurance? Lucky. Lucky me. Um, well, pediatricians are cheaper because they you don't have to pay that. Like you only pay them like half price. All the prices you pay for the round. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you get you get off the kids menu at the uh, insurance office. Um, but there there's a sign about it being like a no spanking zone, and it was giving like the reasons for why. One of them was said like, uh, well, you know, kind of a violent interaction with children. Um, might might make them silent and stop the situation for a few moments while they're scared, but it doesn't do anything to kind of like change the way they think. And I kind of well, that's that's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Not really as a parent, but then I thought back to being a school teacher, and I thought, hmm, a few minutes <laughs> going away. Yeah, I know. that sounds all right. And that's me endorsing violence against children on the yeah, internet. I heard that. Mm-hmm. I'll restore your justice, Buster. <laughs> I'm sure it was, it was a very expensive. It was a very expensive lecture that we had to go to. Oh, no. that's a good scam. Um, so I was gonna briefly uh, go over some stuff that we we had to cut out of the last episode. 
John, John, John. So we talked briefly about this. We'll talk briefly about it again. But we had to cut out the last episode. So we took we had to take a lot of time off because uh, I was being self indulgent and and uh, you know sitting around in Japan eating ramen, eating potato chips from the convenience store, and getting fat. Uh, so we missed out on the deaths of two, I think, maybe great, great southern musicians. And we talked about this. I got the whole thing out. So one we missed when I was in Japan. Um, Don Williams passed away. And so I was asking you guys last week about if you had the same affection for Don Williams that I did. And it turns out the answer is no. That is correct. Yeah, not, yeah that is correct. Uh, so sorry. It, in the ensuing week, did you go back through his back catalog and realize, oh, I really missed the trick here. He was just as good. The answer is no. I did not go back. Not that he's not good, but I um, um, that night after we were done recording, I listened back to a few things that I already knew, and I was like, yeah, this is, this holds mm-hmm. up pretty well, you know. But I, I think that um, he was. Uh, I think maybe he was most popular when I was most metal. And so I had mm-hmm. no patience for anything that was good. <laughs> That's part of uh, being metal. Yeah. Well, I, I thought it, I started thinking about it some more and I went and I didn't listen to, um, I didn't listen to Don Williams, but I listened to Lamb Chop, which, uh, Kurt Wagner, the, uh, the, the, uh, the person, the the, the uh, center of lamb chop, the night. Yeah, Kurt Wagner. <laughs> it's still Kurt Wagner. I never thought of that. <laughs> Maybe. It, <laughs> Do they smell like brimstone when you play the track? Yeah, and he does have a German accent. He does have a German accent, <laughs> and he is a priest. Did he, he run is, away from the circus? He is a priest. He ran away from the circus. And and he's um, occasionally up in the rafters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um. Now I'm gonna have to look that up, Kurt. Why? Um, no, but he like I can definitely see his, the Don Williams influence on Kurt Wagner. And I went and actually I found a more in-depth uh, interview with uh, Kurt Wagner where he talks about just how influential like Don Williams was on him. So well, it's really interesting. I'm, I to look at that because I because I, I made the point last week, but I think like so much of like pop country music is just saccharine maudlin like really shallow nonsense and Don Williams is interesting because he doesn't do like outlaw country at all he does saccharine maudlin country but it's actually good which I think is kind of a hard trick to do so even his songs about like I'm lonely and want a girlfriend like have some kind of like depth or like pathos to them like where you you're interested in what he has to say and uh, you know he even does songs about being kind of like not like I'm lonely come here girl but like man I'm actually like living a lonely existence and it's kind of sucks which is kind of interesting to see in country music well not I mean kind of popular country music uh, and then I was saying last time too like I really love his uh, good old boys like me where the whole first dance is about Uncle Remus and Stonewall Jackson and then his dad lecturing to him with a bible before bedtime but then he realizes his dad's drunk and smells like bourbon uh which is, which is a good way to lead into a song. Um, so yeah, I think he's a really probably underrated songwriter. And uh, yeah, a friend friend of the podcast, Jake Morrill, had told me when he lived in South Africa, South Africans really loved Don Williams and assumed that he was incredibly famous in America. And Jake had to tell them sadly that he he wasn't. 
And uh, but the funny part was that Jake told me the story, assuming that he would then have to explain to me who Don Williams was. Of course, I know Don Williams. I grew up <laughs> listening to eighties eighties country radio was the only station in Destin, Florida. So I definitely know Don Williams and Ronnie Millsap um, and Eddie Rabbit, Juice Newton. Uh, then the other kind of more notable, uh, more acclaimed death was that Tom Petty passed away. And I think you guys are probably in the same boat that I am, where it's like I I like Tom Petty, and there's some songs I like of his more than others, but I, you know, I'm not... It's not like the world shook and I'm grief-stricken that Tom Petty's gone, although it's kind of sad because he seems like a really decent guy. Agreed about, about all of that, and... But it's an interesting thing to me that when he first kind of hit my radar, it was the early MTV stuff, and I had no idea that he was Southern because he was sort of mm-hmm. like uh, fusing some almost new wave elements into uh, rock music, um, and yeah, his videos were very kind of surreal and very well very much of of a piece with a lot of those early MTV videos and stuff and it was only I guess mm-hmm. when he did Southern Accents uh, was when I yeah. realized that he actually was Southern and and paid some attention to that fact um, but he none of his music seems especially um, I mean you can hear the influences of Southern rock and of um, uh Southern music, but you can hear that all throughout all of rock music. Yeah, and you know, was, um, I think that I didn't know because when I first started listening to him, there wasn't an internet, so you can only really look these things up. I don't think I realized he was from Gainesville until a lot later, right? Like, it was like, oh, I didn't know Tom Petty's also from Florida and from Gainesville. And once I did, it made me kind of have a different kind of affection for him, but. Like, even the funny thing about him, too, is like my favorite song that he wrote is American Girl. And I, I don't think I stand out. I think that's probably lots of people's favorite song that he wrote. And I always associate it with being like kind of a very Florida song. But then I read an interview with him about writing it. And it was, he wrote it living next to the interstate in Los Angeles. And it was about living next to the interstate and thinking about the beach. So <laughs> I guess, you know, he, he's kind of enough of a. It was a positive way to say it, like a generalist in his songwriting that, that it wasn't that specific that you yeah. identified as, oh, he's playing Southern music right now. Um, where it's kind of, you know, from the same time period you have R.E.M. coming out. Maybe he's a little bit before R.E.M., but who are so definitely Southern in, in their sound and topics and everything. And then he, he is sometimes, like with Southern accents, like you said, but not at all other times. Yeah, I would be willing to do a whole episode on REM and how they helped me to rethink what Southern meant in a lot of ways. Um, Well, we'll have to enlist Mike Mills on this. We'll get Mike Mills, and then we'll we'll do it. Um, Yeah, and then, you know, I think... I'm trying to remember, like, when Full Moon Fever came out with Tom Petty, I know I listened to that album over and over and over again because I had the tape, and I really liked it. And so when he died, I think that day I listened to... Full Moon Fever again, and it holds like all his stuff holds up, right? There's not like it's not dated. It's it's really good if you sit down and listen to it. Even the tracks you don't hear that much. So I think it's like you know when Prince died. I Prince is like this larger than life character and such an incredible talent that you it felt really 
something was missing when he died. Tom Petty, and I don't mean this in a bad way, it's like, oh, that's sad, Tom Petty died. He's a different kind of figure. But then you start thinking about all of these songs that he wrote and realize like the consistency over decades is pretty remarkable. Well, um, and the sadness for me with Tom Petty came when I read some details that he had just come off the road and said that he was done touring and that he was really, really excited about spending time with his family. And, uh, you know, it just seemed like a, um, um, uh, an especially, well, I guess there's, a, there's never a good time to, to die, but, uh, uh, like he was sort of ready to okay. relax a little bit and enjoy this his one life. week to retirement. Just, yeah. yeah, he did. They shouldn't have partnered him with Mel Gibson. Yeah. I mean, that was really the problem. Yeah, I um, so a few like whether they came up, came, I saw that they had come out with the um, the Tom Petty Serious channel. Like Tom Petty had his own channel on Serious, yeah. and I'm like, I listened to it. Does he have any? Like, when at first they're like, really, like he has enough music to justify <laughs> having his own um, soundtrack and uh, or having his own channel. But then when he when he when this happened when he died, I'm like, well, like that's really sad. But then I started going back and thinking about it, and all the songs that I knew, all the very and like I like, oh wow, like I knew a lot of I knew like oh he had, did have a lot of songs, and they were all really good songs and. And yeah, like Southern Accents, I really liked Southern Accents was a good, so I really enjoyed that album. And also, he was kind of like a soundtrack to my uh, kind of growing up, just because when uh, driving or like when my dad would drive me back and forth from like when he would have to, when I would ride anywhere with my dad, we'd have like classic rock playing. And so this was classic rock in the, you know, mid 80s, early 90s. So of course, Tom Petty was was on the classic rock stations. Um, yeah, one thing I was noticing, like, oftentimes when um, famous musicians die, I start thinking about, like, well, even when they're still alive, like, making a list of, like, my ten favorite songs of theirs or something. And, and Tom Petty, I think about, like, American Girl and The Waiting are my favorites for sure. And then third, I was thinking, it's uh, You Wreck Me. And I was thinking about it from being in the same time period, like, late 70s, early 80s. And then I realized, oh, no, it's, like, 90s. It came out on... Uh, Wildflowers, like it's a fairly right. recent Tom Petty song, but it's like such consistency across across uh, the decades that um, yeah, and also like too yeah, like I for some reason I thought like every everything happened all at the same time, like <laughs> yeah, his whole like sort of career happened all within like a span of like five years, but yeah, but there's a lot of yeah, like it there's a lot of time. Was he a traveling Wilbury? He, he was, was a traveling Wilbury. As someone made the point, is the who would have thought that the only surviving traveling Wilburys are now Bob Dylan and Jeff Lynne? Uh, was Ringo Starr not one? I think he played with them sometimes. I don't think he was a Wilbury, right? I think it was Roy Orbison. Yeah, wasn't it? Wasn't George? Harrison, yeah, uh, Jeff Lynne and Bob Dylan. Oh, okay. Ringo has his All Star Band. Ringo has the uh, All Star Band. Oh, okay, that he performs with him. So he may have not wanted to mess up his brand. Dilate his brand, that is a looted brand. <laughs> By applying with uh, another super group. Yeah. Yeah. So really quickly to finish up on this and then finish up the podcast, like there was, uh, you know, left Twitter gets weird sometimes, but that day, like somebody I like who was like left Twitter, but they are... Uh, 
yeah, they they were saying was it the like, other Chad oh, Watson? Chad Watson photo. Chad Watson photo. Yeah, he, they were they were saying like, oh, why should we care about like uh, a rich dead white guy when all this is going on in like Puerto Rico and like what else was happening? There? Maybe Las Vegas was happening then as well. All these things were kind yeah, of happening. Totally. Like, what? Why do we care about another like rich dead white guy? And then my kind of counterpoint to that was saying like. You know, I think that if you're this kid, like, growing up in Gainesville, Florida, who decides he'd drop out of high school and have a career as an artist, and you're able to make that happen, that seems kind of important to me. That seems kind of incredible that you're able to to do that. Right? Well, and it also, the argument buys into this idea that we can only care about one thing at a time. That, um, Which I hate. Um, yeah, that... Pay, that being the top story in the news feed is the same thing as caring about something and that you can only care right. about the thing that's there at the top of the list. Um, right, which is a shallow argument anyway. And then my kind of argument is like it devalues art as well, right? Like saying like I can't, uh, that's, that's not important that this guy, you know, created art for, for three decades. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. To create art for three it's decades. Really um, it's pretty remarkable. Well, on that note, we, we've been doing this for an hour, so I guess we'll go ahead and wrap up. So let's hope uh, we all recorded our audio tracks this week, and they come out well, and they make it through the ether, and we uh, complete our podcast, and we'll see everybody next week. So see you guys next week. See you next see week. See you next week. Thoughts and prayers. Um. <laughs>